I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello, and here we are at episode number 112 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Hope you're all doing well. My God, I had some love for last week's episode with Michael Pepiat. I hope I didn't come across too fanboy, because I did feel it a little bit, you know. For a little while, while we was talking about Francis Bacon, I did think to myself, oh, I don't really want to say anything in case I, I make myself look a bit of a fucking wally, you know. But... Well, then I figured pretty much everything I know about Francis Bacon I've got from Michael Pepe anyway. And I can't remember who I mentioned last week, but after we finished his interview, we were speaking for about 25, 30 minutes with Michael asking me questions about being in prison and my route into the art world and, you know, my journey from there since. Come to think of it, he was asking that many questions without me realising it at the time. I reckon he was gathering information for his next art world bestseller. Mansfield, The Forgotten Years. Or do you reckon I'm reading a little bit too much into our conversation? A man's allowed a little daydream, isn't he? Anyway, back to this week. Firstly, as ever, thank you to the Patreon supporters. If you'd like to make a small contribution for this content that we provide... Just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram bio and you can follow the link to the Patreon site there. You can do it from as little as £3 a month. But if you're not able, that's fine. The content's here for everyone anyway. I know I mention it every week and it, it can be a little bit of a bore. But to be honest, we wouldn't be able to survive without it. Or, at the very worst, we'd have to have adverts at the start, middle and end. And I've tried not to have that since the uh, the very first episode. But anyway, 
This week's guest was a household name before she attended Chelsea College of Art almost 25 years ago and has been painting ever since. She's a TV presenter, a radio broadcaster, a journalist. She even does a bit of stand-up comedy. In 2019, she appeared on Sky's Celebrity Portrait Artist. She done a bit of cha-cha-cha on Strictly Come Dancing. In between us arranging this conversation and recording it, she appeared on Grayson Perry's Art Club and most recently was voted Star Baker on Celebrity Bake Off. We've only gone and got Miss Annika Rice on the podcast and it turns out we've got a mutual friend in Maggie Hambling. Yeah, I used the phrase mutual friend and I think I'm going to get away with it because to be fair, who's going to have the guts to go up and ask Maggie for themselves? So please, come and join me as I spoke over Zoom to friend of a friend, Miss Annika Rice. Um, but yeah, you listened to one with Maggie, what did you think? Well, um, Maggie Hamblin's my mentor. I do her, I'm part of her masterclass. She has a group of <coughs> painters who meet up, we meet up every Thursday. Oh, we, nice. Not lockdown anyway. She'd come along and uh, we all paint together and it's just like my most precious sort of painting tribe it's just such nourishment for the soul I can't tell you anyway I saw that Maggie had done your chat and I'm always interested to know how people cope she's so full of humanity and she'll you know if she thinks you're worth it she'll give you all the time in the world but she can sniff out a fraud and what what the the classes that you do with Maggie are they online or are they there's a group of about 10 of us Excellent. Her masterclass, and we meet up every Thursday. We've been doing it for years. Some some people have been doing it for decades. Uh, the youngest persons in her early twenties, I'd say, and the eldest in their eighties. Um, real diverse mixture, and oh, you know what it's like painting with friends, or perhaps you don't. Yeah, I'm yeah sure no, you, uh, yeah. You know, there's something very precious about a painting group. It's like no other group I've ever met in my life because. And there's such a vulnerability about everyone. Yeah. You know, because there is generally around painting, isn't there? No one goes in and goes, I'm brilliant. I'm brilliant. <laughs> Here I am. Maggie, Maggie always says that uh, painting anything should be like a battlefield. You should, you know, you, you should show your marks what you've been through, the pouring out of emotion. Um, and that's quite a good way of looking at it. You know, hopefully you win the battle, but sometimes you don't carry. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have someone giving you a masterclass, you can't get much better than Maggie Hambling, right? I know. Well, and I met her. I, I'm such a fraud as well, Gary. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the imposter on the masterclass because I met her. I, I went to interview her for a sort of pilot for something. Yeah. It was just me and a cameraman and, and another member of the crew. And she was, it was in her studio in London. We did a good interview. It's a nice interview. But then at the end, she was just wanted us out of that studio. Yeah. You know, fuck off now. He done it. <laughs> Get out. Eighty-fourth cigarette on the go. And uh, we sort of scuttled off. And I just looked at her because she'd said, Get out, because I've got to get ready. I do my master class on a Thursday. And I just said to her, can I come? <laughs> she looked at me for about 10 minutes and just wrote down on a piece of paper, 10 o'clock, bring charcoal. And I've never since. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, because I didn't know whether you was in Suffolk or London when you said that you went there every Thursday. Oh, no, in London. She yeah. comes down to London for it. And we're very I- devoted as a group. You know, there's real care there. Really. How cool is her London studio? 
I loved it. I absolutely loved it. No London studio. Yeah. You've obviously got to know her quite well. And you're obviously not scared of her anymore. No, the thing about Maggie is she's just the warmest person with the greatest humanity. But as I said, she just doesn't suck fools. Exactly. And, and you're there to learn. You're there, you know, it's her thing. And if you arrive with an ego, you might as well just leave it. Yeah. Some people, some newcomers have come to the class and sort of lasted you no know, more than a term because yeah. that doesn't work. You've got to come and uh, I don't know, it's just, I can't really describe it and I wouldn't really want to because it's so precious what goes on in that art room. It's, it's, it's a joy. Yeah. It's the biggest joy of my life, you know. Brilliant. And I'm so happy to have found that, as I say, that tribe. Of, yeah. Uh, well, I was so scared when I went to meet her. I've met her before uh, when I arranged the, the podcast and she treated me pretty much as she treated you the first time, you know. Oh, well, I don't know. You say good luck, but as I say, if I have a problem, I could go to Maggie with any problem. And she's so generous with her advice and, and fiercely loyal. Once yeah. you're part of the tribe, you know, the, the yeah. loyalty there is very touching and the companionship yeah. and the just the nurturing. And if someone's going through a bad time, you know, if one sort of gets behind them, it's, it's a very special thing. I think lots of art groups are like that. Yeah. And how long have you been doing that group for now? About 10 years. Really? Wow. Yeah, I'm a real newcomer, but um, some have been there forever. Um, but yes, no, it's, and but, but before the Maggie group, I painted with um, John Napier, the, the oh, yeah. theatre designer. He yeah. was responsible for shows like Les Mis and Cats and Miss Saigon, all the big epic things you see at the theatre are usually designed by John Napier. And he has a lovely studio. And so he... Um, for years as well, this is before I met Maggie, had a group, funny enough, again on a Thursday evening. And we used to go and do the same sort of thing. There'd be a life model there. We'd all paint, we'd drink while we were doing it. Nice. There'd be a lot of, as soon as I arrived, John would put gin and tonic in my hand. Because we'd all come from filming and children and domestic yeah, yeah, life. Yeah. Exhausting. You know, Imogen Stubbs, the actress, would sort of make sure she finished her film early so she wouldn't miss the night. We'd all just fling ourselves to this studio yeah. in Farringdon. And so we drank to sort of congratulate ourselves for getting there and then uh, painted for the evening. And then John would cook us this amazing food and we'd oh, so eating. So again, what a lovely thing. I've been very lucky with my Thursday evenings, basically. Karen. Well, seeing as you paint with people on a Thursday, most yeah. Thursdays, how are you painting on different days? Do you find it a challenge? Do you is it easier or just different? I'm I'm much better when I've got a, a target. So, for example, I've just uh, been involved recently with Grayson's Art Club. I saw that. So I did his the first program in that with the sub family, and um, when I watched the program on the telly, I thought when he announced what the titles were going to be before I was involved, I just thought. Oh my God, family, that's a loaded word for me. Yeah. And then two days later, his producers rang and said, do you want to produce a piece of artwork to go with this? And, and I decided to create a long six-foot freeze. Um, I didn't know where it was going to start. Oh, I'll show you this. I'm going to get it. But I started with my childhood dolls. Oh, cool. Who were my, and I've got all my old um, 
childhood books and everything. Brilliant. It started just with oh. me putting down on the left-hand corner, you know, the, the first idea of what family meant to me, which yeah. is child with just these characters in books and, you know, I had a bit of a fractured childhood. So all those things were very important to me. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And by the time I sort of had gone through all these different tribes, I, of course, realised that family isn't about blood relations. It's just about community. It's yeah. just about all these people you gather up along the way. Um, and so it was just joyful to do, but so emotionally exhausting. <laughs> but I mean, that's an example of having a nice goal. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm good if I've got a goal, if I've got an exhibition or something I'm working towards. Do you think your work has changed since painting in these groups? You learn more from painting with other people than you ever yeah. can grow. Uh, the, the, the most revealing thing to me, which has changed the way I paint the most, has been watching Maggie's critique she does at the end yeah. of a Thursday where we all put our easels up and she goes through each painting we produce during the during the day. She hasn't particularly commented very much. She might say the odd thing like, get the fucking head on rice. <laughs> 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 Which is me. Or why is that blue? Okay. Everything yeah. is always blue, you know. So there's a sort of bit of banter that goes on during the day. But at the end, when you turn your easel around and she looks at them, that is invaluable you couldn't put a price on that because yeah. you forget your own painting you just look at every, what everyone else has produced in completely different styles because yeah. they're perfectly doing their own thing and maggie will give that painting as long as it takes to, yeah. to really work out what works what doesn't work and so you wouldn't get that if you weren't in a group yeah well as far as your sort of style goes um there's seven questions that i ask each guest Oh, okay, okay. And the first would be, how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? I would say um, I, I'm, I'm unusual in that I paint usually with a twig. Um, nice. I garden, I get a twig or any sharp stick. The end of a paintbrush is what I did with Grace and Freeze with. Um, and I use just ink and watercolour and a lot of water and I paint very quickly, and quite a sort of expressed, you know, energetic. Yeah, way. it's very loose, isn't it? Loose. I like doing sort of a loose painting. Yeah. Um, I'm not good at anything that's meant to actually look like what it's... <laughs> well, that, that looseness does tie in very well visually with the memories that you paint a lot of. Because it's where it's so loose, it does it does look like sort of sort of dreamlike, you know. Yeah, well, I think it's as a, you know, it's all about sort of mark making and just putting sort of emotions down on mm. paper. I mean, for me, if I had, to, I mean, I possibly could. I've never really tried. If someone said, uh, you know, I want you to do a very photographic painting of that yeah. parcel, it would kill me. But <laughs> I'd lose interest because I, you know, I can barely spend more than a day on any project. I get very, you know, bored. Yeah. I prefer, um, you know, I've started doing portraits. You know, there's one of Randolph Fiennes behind yes. <laughs> randomly, and uh, people know it's him. If you look at it closely, you think, how do they? Yeah. Because yeah. there's just so many different marks all over it. Well, when was your first interest in art? Um, not at school. I don't think we even had an art room at school, to be honest. Certainly, I never found it. Um, it wasn't until 
my late 20s that I even picked up a paintbrush. Oh, and, nice. And it was thanks, thanks to my husband who bought me an easel, a smock, and a book called Step by Step Art School. Yeah. And I became obsessed, which Brilliant. is because I'd always said to him, you know, I'd always work very hard and I hadn't had that sort of, uh, you know, lovely experience of school where you might do art and other yeah, yeah. humanities subjects. It was just graft, graft, graft. And then I just set to work at a very young age. So I always said to him, I wish I was like a Jane Austen heroine. Yeah. A yeah. bit of painting, a bit of piano. So he bought me a piano one year and then this whole art <laughs> And that, you know, thanks to that, I was off. Brilliant. And it was, it was really great for me because um, I was on location a lot. I used to do the holiday programme, which was called Wish You Were Here on ITV. And so all the time I'd be in the Okavanga Delta or China or Africa, or, you know, all over the place. Yeah. With long periods of time when the crew were off getting a sunset shot. And so once I'd got my paints, I'd learned that you could just carry your kit around with you. And it's mobile therapy, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, do you, are you the same? Do you carry a... I, I don't I don't draw or sketch as nowhere near as much as I used to, or even I should. But um, if I look at something, I'm, I think of how I could do that brush stroke, you know, wh yes. what I could use to, to make that, what colours I would use to mix it, even though I'm not a painter. I'm constantly like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think once you start seeing the world in terms of, as you say, brush strokes and yeah. colours, I mean, I'm a colour obsessive. I mean, I'm not joking when I say that. I, every surface of our house is blue. I painted the floor last week. <laughs> done table blue. I've Excellent. done um, a sofa blue. It's, yeah. it's a horrible brown leathery thing. It's now blue, you know. So my happiness comes from colour and paint. Definitely. Yeah, so your husband's kicking himself forever purchasing you I, that, uh, that <laughs> easel. Definitely, definitely. Well, actually, we're no longer together, so oh, that's okay. part. Oh, of there you go. That's the reason he left. <laughs> Painted blue. If I it's not the paintings; it's the bloody piano. <laughs> yeah. What's your colour? Where would you go with the colour? Does the colour sing to you? Well, it's like a, a very dark grey blue, sort of like a like a smoky Payne's grey. Yeah, but I like a little tinge of yellow in it. There's a certain colour. I only see it three or four times a year. It's when the sun's out, but there's about to be a storm and there's those dark clouds and the sun's just hitting them. Quite ominous and brooding. And it, it, it is quite a depressive colour, but colour pops well beautifully off of it. Yeah. It yeah, does work perfectly. I it for me because obviously it's in the blue spectrum. I love it. It makes me happy. I don't, I don't even see any other colour. When I first started painting with Maggie, she'd go, what the fuck are you doing? Why did you make it blue? What are you doing? And I was going, I, I see that as blue. Excellent. You know, I can't not see that beautiful body without, with, without blue in it. And I'm, I'm allowed a bit now. It's become a sort of, you know, turquoise. Is Excellent. And she were right with it now, is she? Right with it now. <laughs> which piece that you've created has got the strongest emotional connection um gosh that's a tricky one i don't know i do a lot of um dancers 
which is funny for someone, anyone who saw me on Strictly Come Dancing would know that dancing isn't necessary. <laughs> Put me in the same conversational <laughs> sentence. But I, but I I, love going, you know, before COVID into dance rehearsals. So sometimes I'd go into Central School of Ballet and nice. just sit quietly in their rehearsal room with a big long roll of watercolour and my twig and ink and just scratch and paint and quickly work around the dancers rehearsing in front of me. And I think those are the paintings I enjoy the most, paintings that I do on the spot, no time to think about it. It's just an absolute emotional reaction. Nice. Well, that. your style lends itself very well to dance in a movement, doesn't it? I guess so. I guess so. And especially if you use water, you know, you really wet your um, page before you start. I mean, the way that, that water moves around once you put on ink on it, honestly, yeah, it's quite, quite random, yeah. But I love it. It's so beautiful. Um, so I do a lot of dances. So I, weirdly, I would say that dancers provoke the most reaction in me because I find them so beautiful and graceful and the strength and the discipline, yeah. you know, all things which I really admire, I guess. Do you collect art at all? Very bad at collecting art, I have to say. Um, so the answer's probably no. I mean, I collect bits and pieces that friends have done, you know, yeah. so I collect amateur art, definitely. Yeah, when you said that, I certainly don't go to Christie's and wait for Francis Bacon, though I'd yeah. love it. Yeah. I was meaning just any type of art. Yeah, just anything that pleases me will, will go up on the wall. And that's the, that's the best kind to have. When you start to do it for investment, for me, it sort of um, loses yeah. quite a lot then. I know. Um, I agree. So I would say I do collect art, but um, not art that anyone else. You haven't got any Maggie Hamlings hanging on the wall yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do to relax, Annika? Well, I write and I paint, funny enough. Um, mm. In these anxious times, I find that if I go into a studio and start painting, a day can slip by. So that is re relaxing because it's off. And the same with writing, um, piano playing, you know, anything creative. Anything Brilliant. creative. Yeah. Well, you sense. mentioned there about lockdown. I saw that at the start of lockdown, you was putting out little challenges for oh, I know. people each day. I did, I did see those. I know. Well, I realised that... Um, they really struck a chord, actually, because I think for most people, that first challenge, which was, you know, the first challenge is get out of bed, <laughs> just yeah. struck a chord. Because without the structure of our lives, I mean, it's, lockdown's been so bizarre, hasn't it? Because, you know, on one side, you've got doctors and nurses and frontline workers and exactly. working so hard you you know you're, you're just so full of admiration your heart goes out and then for the other half it's just people just not knowing how to no they've had their structure them. taken away and and yeah. you don't know what to do i think structure is vital for me yeah I, I suffer from anxiety a lot and I find that structure is the only thing that keeps me going. So I timetable my day as if I'm at school. Yeah, that's wow. the thing that makes me feel right, it's going to be fine. So I'll have a project to do or you know, something like this, chat with you <clears throat> two o'clock and then the, the next thing and then I'm fine. 
um, having a, just a big, big expanse of no structure for me is tricky. Yeah, I think it is for a lot of people. I mean, it, it does go to show the sort of um, how people cope with their liberties being taken away, or at, at least a liberty being taken away. It's really hard to react to. What What have you found the worst thing? Having my partner and kids at home because I, I was working from home and then all of a sudden both my children were off school who were mid-teens and they were at home and then my partner who went to work every day she was working from home all of a sudden the routine that I'd got into had gone out the window yeah um my yeah. space was sort of invaded if you like yeah, you've got to sh share your space and work out how you're going to work within the house all doing yeah. your things. No, it's it's really weird. That's what I mean about the, it's a story of two completely different halves, this pandemic yeah. of people who've got to get out there and are just saving the world, basically. And then the yeah. other half can't go out, but have to sort of carry on trying to work from home. Um, so, yeah, I think everyone's just floundering around a bit. Yeah. Another question I've got. If there's you and five other artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be? Group show? Well, you'd definitely choose people who could take the, all the attention off you, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, Maggie, if she would agree to it, that would just be you know, a big sort of noise in one corner. Do they have to be alive? Alive or dead. Alive or dead. Oh, that's exciting. I'd probably have Frank Arbach. Nice. Another corner. Soutine. Yeah. Yeah, chuck him in. Um, maybe Francis Bacon for a bit of edge. and. Oh, you'd never be able to shut him and Maggie up, would you? Oh, that's true. They'd <laughs> that'd, sides. that'd be a, a clash I'd pay to see, that's for sure. I'd love to and see then, them having a chat. I, I think I'd, I'd ask Rodin along and because his, his line drawings what I love so much you know I just love his nudes his line drawings so yes and hopefully between all of them that would all rub off on me <laughs> excellent yeah we, little little old you in the middle of that lie that'd be pretty cool wouldn't it do you go and visit art a lot or did you rather before lockdown yeah I did and I got involved with some lovely projects actually like at the Royal Academy they had these um open life drawing I can't think what it was called sort of it was on Facebook and uh, they opened up the studio to I was really lucky to go along and be one of just very few painters live and they had a model there but then people all over the country could see this on Facebook yeah, and follow yeah. the model you know it's become quite a thing now I think Sky Arts did yeah too. yeah and it's just such a, I love that kind of thing. So, um, I, I mean, I, when I work at the BBC, obviously I've got such a wealth of Wallace collection. Yeah. And the National also near. So I, I, I'm, I'm a great, I do frequent um, art galleries quite a lot because I just love a lovely place to be. I mean, the National Portrait Gallery, the restaurant there on the top floor. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the nicest places you can meet someone for a drink ever. So, you know, I think I think what's nice is we all remember from school those school trips where you were in a coach and you had to go and look at something. <laughs> no one dragged around there. A bloody questionnaire which freaked you out. <laughs> the whole day was what to do with the hard boiled egg in your packed lunch. Yeah. 
how to do that questionnaire. And so the, I still, uh, you know, have a reaction against that. So I still yeah. love the thought of sometimes going into a gallery for five minutes. Yeah. Just to catch a bit of, you know, just something exciting and, and then wander off again, you know, so yeah. not see it as this great set piece where you've got to go and look at art. Yeah, it becomes a chore then, doesn't it? Did yeah. you have art in the home when you was growing up? No, don't remember it at all. A lot of paint and my, well, no, industrial sort of paint because my dad was in the building trade. So I spent my child with a hard hat on, mummy. <laughs> I ended up spending my life doing that. But I spent my life on building sites, looking at cement being mixed and colour yeah. going up. And my mum was really into DIY projects. So we were always painting walls. Excellent. So that sort of painting. Yeah. So I still, I'm looking, I, you know, I still paint. I've got these around the house. I'm holding up a huge. And there's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. You know, artists at the yeah. top of their game still use household paint. Do you know the sweetest story, Gary? It's probably going to make me cry, but my dad, my darling dad, who had terrible dementia right at the end of his life. Um, and so I found a way of communicating with him was by taking round my industrial size uh, booklet of Dulux swatch colours. Nice. Proper trade one. Yeah. And we had spent hours looking through the colours and going, hmm, that blue, do you think for a time? And we had uh, beautiful conversations about colours, what we'd choose to do with those colours. And then one day um, I said to him, Dad, do you know what my name is? And he just looked at me and he went, Dulux? You know, so that was so lovely. Oh. At the end of his life, we, we again found paint. Yeah. It's a way of communicating. Oh, that's beautiful. Dulux. I'm, I wish my name was Dulux, really. Oh, man, you, you're, you're now Dulux in my mind whenever <laughs> I see you on the telly now. But it's so nice because, you, know, you know, you do go into these parallel universes with dementia. Yeah. You know, came to live with us quite a while because I didn't, it was before dementia was really talked about and I didn't know what was wrong with him particularly. And it oh, was, was it quite some time ago? Uh, it was about 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and so he came to live with us at one point and um, he just got absorbed into the family um, so that we, we were all around to help yeah. things. You know, but in the old days, it, how communities worked. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone was absorbed, all problems and everything were absorbed in a family unit. So he actually, my, my very sweetly, my son slept in the same room with him. So did oh, he got, nice. get up in the night looking for yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I always remember cooking in the kitchen and, and Thomas walked in at one point to see what we were having for supper. And I said, fine, is Grandad all right? And he went, yeah, he's talking to the cushion. And I just went, oh, great. <laughs> but he, he carried on because that, that was the reality of yeah. it. And it yeah. seemed strange. Yeah. yeah. It was just, Once you accept strange and different, oh, it's the lovely. world's completely changed, hasn't it? It's a thing of great joy for all of us. And I'm glad my children saw that. Yeah. Uh, for the wonderful way that, you know, oh, sorry. you just sort of all muck in. Maybe yeah. it was a bit. Excellent. Complex. So, are you waiting for your invite onto who do you think you are now <laughs> after that chat with Grayson? 
Oh dear, well, I, you know, it is a big word for me, family, because it's so, because honestly, for most people, you know, family to you, you probably think of some grandparents and uncles yeah. and cousins, I, you know, I just don't have that sort of bulk of any family behind me. Um, and it's certainly informed most of the choices I've made in life, I think, because it's made me really look outwards towards other communities. And, yeah infiltrate my way like an mi5 spy <laughs> so you, i suppose you've stopped looking sort of upwards for family and you've just looked sideways look, instead haven't you you know look around me and you, you i've found it in the most glorious places um and it's and it's all about community and it's all about just sort of you know being part of something bigger than yourself yeah. and, uh, and and like a family that you know there might be groups of people where you don't particularly get on with one person but you love all the other people but that's yeah. like family you might have a dodgy uncle harry or something <laughs> everyone's got a dodgy uncle harry <laughs> never had a dodgy uncle because i've never had an uncle so uh you just find your family wherever wherever you live and how do you think would do you think you'd accept it if they offered it to you well, I don't know, Gary, because I've sat on this for so many decades, um, and I've even I even a friend gave me one of those um, DNA ancestry things you sent yeah. off. And it took me five years to even get it out from under the bed where I'd hidden it. Oh wow! You you, you had it for that long. I had it for that long, and eventually, last year, weirdly, I did my DNA swab and sent it off, and I know the results of I, I can't look at it. So it's very, and anyone else would go, what the hell, why not? It's, but it's just because if over several, several decades of secrecy and grain. Do you feel like you're cheating on your parents by looking at it? Sort of, Gary. You know, they had reasons they didn't. But on the other hand, you know, they, they're not around anymore and... Yeah, well, their reasons are theirs and your reasons are yours, aren't they? You yeah, know? It's very, but I think possibly the, their reasons weren't that, you know, they came from a family of murderers. I don't mm. think it's that. I think they were just split up by war. Got you. you know, they were products of the Second World War. My dad went off to fight when he was just a teenager. And, was your dad, and or were both your parents British? Yeah, well, I presume so. Yeah. No, again, my dad oh, came from Liverpool, uh, but he was just sort of sent off to war um, as a teenager. So perhaps because communication wasn't like it is now, he just never saw his family again. I don't know. But uh, my mum was evacuated as an 11-year-old or something to another area. And perhaps she just never again, she lost touch with her real family. Yeah. Who knows, Gary? Uh, yeah, sometimes the mystery is... I, and I did the test because not so much finding out. I did it because I just thought, actually, if I do nothing more with this, I've got to write a novel or a film because this is such a... It's such a interesting story, especially of a young girl being evacuated from Deptford or wherever. Yeah, brilliant. So, grim London where perhaps she grew up to a, a different world you know it's just the the, the filmmaker and me just wanted to yeah. explore that so have you opened it and seen the names no 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 and just haven't followed it 
I haven't even opened it. Beautiful. I, I love it that you haven't. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I won't. I can't open it. See, yeah, th that's, what I, that's what I think is bloody amazing because you could have the answers to everything <laughs> in your bottom drawer, if you, if you know what I mean. It's, it's brilliant that you're okay. sort of... I don't, I know. It's just, I'll have to, there'll have to be a reason to do it. I haven't got it yet. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it will be a television thing or Brilliant. You know, it's something that gives me the confidence. It's, I, I almost don't want to know myself, you yeah. know. It's brilliant. It'll be so boring. That's the thing. <laughs> It'll be really dull. But the thing is, dull and boring is what I craved as a child. I just want to have, I wanted to yeah. have those very boring relations that everyone did because they're Excellent. vital. Yeah. It's vital that you live in a community and not on your own because, you know, if you've got problems with your parents or whatever, you've always got an aunt to talk to yeah. or a cousin that you could identify with. But if you've just got nothing, you're stuck in your kitchen at home. It's like you've got the same sort of sense as someone who's been adopted and doesn't yes. know their, their, their um, birth parents. Possibly. Because they, they don't know, oh, you yeah, know, you yeah. know your parents and then that's yeah. it. But, you know, they haven't got that. They're, they're just one step away from that, they're, aren't they're, they? You know? They're a much sort of deeper level of angst to get than, than me because it wasn't that I didn't have a pair of parents, but it was just it was just the secrecy. I think Excellent. secrecy when you're a child just breeds emotions. Oh, man, I'd love it if you found out they were both spies in the Second World War. Oh. <laughs> Well, wouldn't it be interesting? Wouldn't it wouldn't be? It just. But it won't. It'll be deeply dull. But oh. I don't, dull is what we all crave, isn't it? We want. We want sort of slightly safe and ordinary at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everyone wants that. Yeah. Exciting is a is an old thing, isn't it? You know. I isn't it? No, no more exciting. <laughs> just to be alive, healthy. You know, all, all those things. If anyone wants to see your artwork. How can they see it? Website, social media. I'm very bad. I even set up a website and then posted nothing on it. I'm very bad. I, I did see, I did go to your website and uh, then it. come back off it again. It's, you've got just a landing page directing it to social I pay, media. I pay a lot to some website domain person. <laughs> no, You're not the, the first person to do in that. that. Um, someone on my Maggie handling group, Leo, is going to help me with that. When I have an exhibition or something, I do open it up and put okay. the paintings on it. And then yeah. once the exhibition's over and everything's sold, it sort of just lapses again. Otherwise, there's just the odd stuff I put on Instagram. I think it's a it's one thing that does give me a lot of anxiety, or that thing about the fact you're meant to be selling yourself online. Yeah. I'm just very old school. So there's a, I, that makes me always have a sort of... Ah, you know, it's like that fear of missing out thing, isn't it? Yeah. Should I be doing that? I've got everyone else's got big flashy this and they got the and then I just say, Oh, don't worry, just get on. Do you know my background? Yeah. I'm right. really so the hard thing of me finished me now because I want coming out and saying, Look at me, which artists need to do. Mm. And I've spent all of my life trying to sort of put my head below the parapet and not be noticed. Not be noticed. And now all of a sudden I've got to go, here I am, come and look at me and Yeah, that is know. that is really something to get your head around, isn't yeah. it? Listen were you in? I was in several all around the country. I what? started off in Chelmsford, which was where I got or the, the local prisons where I got arrested. And then 
um, because I was in prison for, for, I got 14 years and I had to serve seven. So I went to a high security one in um, on the Isle of Sheppey for just over, I think it's around about three and a half years. And then as my category got lowered, yeah. um, then I went to different prisons, one in Sutton in Surrey, which was, um, which they call a C category, which is like a mid range. Then I went to Owlsbury um, where I was allowed to go to college. Then I finished up in Richmond in an open prison there. So was Aylesbury the place that you started to look at yourself and... No, that was in Swaleside. In, was th that was the, the high security one. Um, because I was sort of, um, I've been a criminal all my life, you know, and I, I did, I loved it. It was exciting. It was fun. It was dangerous. It was, I was in my mid twenties, you know, there was women and it was everything, you know, a young guy could want, you know. Um, but I'd always stayed away from drugs. But then where I got set up by this drugs gang, all of a sudden I was looking at my life and the, the life I was leading. And I yeah. saw how much it ripped my family apart, me going to jail, you know. And then I just thought, oh, I don't want this anymore. And then I, I saw that the problem wasn't society. It was me and the decisions I took. And then I started looking at why I took them decisions and realised I had fuck who else in, in my toolbox, you know, it, yeah. as it were. I only knew crime. So then I thought I'd try and get into something else. I stumbled into art. Was that one person, though, who kind of said, come on, Gary, let's... let's have you thought about art? No, no, that was, that, that was me that, that wanted to change. So I had a complete, over a course of a year's worth of trying to understand what I am, what I want to be, what I was, and trying to sort of chuck away the bad bits of me and keep a hold of the goods, you know. But that is amazing, Gary, that you, that self-awareness you had that you just blatantly didn't have when you were out in the room, yeah. that you suddenly latched onto that. That takes strength of mind. When everyone around you is, as you say, talking, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in jail, the, the hard thing is, there's, it's all bravado. So I've, I've always been a little bit open. You know, I've never always been the one who's sort of talking tough all the time. You know, I might talk tough, but I will always have, I always had a bit of empathy. And that always made me feel good. Whereas all the other stuff I was doing, I knew that ultimately that always made me feel bad. Mm -hmm because I realised it was on the, on the surface. It, it, nothing had no depth in my life, apart from that little bit of empathy. And I didn't even see it as empathy at, at that point. You know, I just knew that when I'd done good things, I felt good. When I'd done bad things, although it was feeling good for, a, for an instant, after a while, it, it, had no, it had no legs because, it, you know, there was no depth in it. So then I just started looking at the things that made me feel good, realising that they're the things that make other people feel good. You know, if I'm talking like this heart to heart to someone, yeah. they listen to you because you're being honest and open. If you're going, oh, yeah, then I've done this and I've done that and I'm a right laugh and I'm a gangster, people just go, oh, for fuck's sake, you know. That, just... You know, we, we were talking about family or rather my family. So when you were going through that, how did your own family react to what you were up to? Uh, well, what, when I was doing well, the crime? In your, in, your, in your crime years? You know, were you, well, did you feel connected to your family or had you sort of stepped outside your family? No, see, my, no one was an active criminal, but in the council estate I lived on, or 
fucking hell, East London, Essex, although no one's an active criminal, everyone is okay with crime. Everyone would buy a bit of dodgy meat for Sunday. You know, come Christmas, everyone would buy the stolen stuff for Christmas presents because it's half price, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone would be okay with certain crimes, you know. And it's just always been a part of life. It's just that I took it to different levels. And I was getting a buzz out of the things that I was doing. And did you sort of get off on the the fear and the jeopardy? Definitely. That was that's the thing that I missed the most. Yeah, I I I have an absolute you know, I, I thrive on a slight fear and jeopardy. And I think you either have that as a human or you do. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you heard from the one I'd done with Maggie, but I had loads of like now A-list artists writing to me while I was in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was um, extraordinary. And that was just that's what I needed because crime to me was like an addiction. And every everyone I knew was into crime. Um, everything I'd done was crime, everything I thought about was crime. Just at that time when I wanted a change, these artists come into my life and then they give me a new sense of purpose yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden in the art world I've become although I was I felt like a novelty for a little while I was this wannabe artist in prison all these artists were writing to me but they become my new friends you know and, and I didn't have to figure out whether these ones were going to stab me in the back and put me into prison whether they're talking to the police and yeah. all that paranoia I didn't have that anymore that's such a lovely story so then it's, that was how it's like mentoring at its most exactly. beautiful, isn't it? Really? So they just give me this, all of a sudden, I didn't have a new family, it just sort of shifted. Just what my freeze was all about, is finding those tribes of people as you go through your life. They might be different people at different times, but they're really, they're your family. Exactly. Well, the thing, the artist saved your life in a way. It, that's exactly how I say it. I, I say that my life had a 180 degree turn. And the thing is now, I've got two children, a boy and a girl, who are mid, mid-teens now. And they are really, you know, I know they're my kids, but they're really nice, kind, loving, caring kids. If I was still the old me, they would be possibly just younger versions of me. Like, you know, tear aways, getting into trouble, yeah. trouble being fun, you know, whereas now trouble is something they stay away from. So not only have they changed my life, these artists, changed the chain of my life. Yeah, a different way of looking at the world, wouldn't they? So they have broke the chain, these artists, and it's I, I can't owe them enough, I've, you know. I got to know Ronnie Wood. Oh, well, he got in touch with me out of the blue. I'd never met the guy. He'd got in touch with me through the art website when I had it, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> damn it another reason why I should get it back up but he just got in touch and just said I really like your drawings your pages yeah. and started chatting and then he invited me out to one of his concerts in Paris and nice. I found myself backstage in his dressing room thinking oh my god I'm in Ronnie Wood's dressing room he's about to go on stage you won't be the first woman in Ronnie Wood's <laughs> dressing room I bet you <laughs> and his wife was there and his children and it yeah. was just lovely. It was very family, actually. Um, and um, the, that is another example of how art can change your life. And changed my life because I met him, and that's been yeah. a nice thing. Um, but also, Ronnie, when he was at depths of despair with his drugs and drinking, mm. 
and he's really bad. Um, Damien Hurst rescued him. That's it. He just gave him, he just filled up a studio with paints and easels and brushes and every single thing you could ever want. Yeah. And said to Ronnie, right, and that was uh, honestly a, a new start for Ronnie. Beautiful. Just like you're describing. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I went I went to Ronnie's studio in um, Hemel Hempstead um, to collect an artwork. We was, I was doing this thing for, do you know, um, of course you do, um, Katie Piper. Yeah, yeah. Who was attacked with the acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was putting on shows for her. Um, I was fundraising, um, putting on shows and donating the money to the Katie Piper Foundation. And it was to do with the change of identity because I had my identity changed from these people who put me in jail, just like Katie's had her identity yeah, yeah, changed. Yeah. So I would ask 30 artists to donate an artwork and then I would contact another 30 artists to give them this artwork to work over to make a collaborative finished artwork and the first artist would have no idea who's working on their artwork so it was a surprise for them as well you know so one is the sort of victim who's getting attacked by the other one you know yeah. and um do you know I said I had these two separate lives my new life and my old life if you like I've learned to separate them by giving the old Gary Mansfield a name and that name is Roy Maynard and Roy Maynard is the name that I used to give the police or book into a hotel or, you know, if I got pulled over, I'd give them that name. So that's how I learned to live with these two parallel lives that I was having. One's Roy Maynard, one's Gary Mansfield. But I've got this, uh, like a sketchbook and all the artwork in that that I had ideas for while I was in prison, when I create them, they're not my ideas. They're, they were Roy Maynard's ideas. So I've got these two different artists, you know. So yeah. when I was in this exhibition, there was me and Roy Maynard. That's so interesting, isn't it? I but, thought yeah. you were going to say that Ronnie knew you in his past life and bought a washing machine off you. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing like that. I'd like it to have been. I'm going to try and get him on here. Could have been, couldn't it? I yeah. mean, you know, all these, like, we're all connected somewhere along the line. But, yeah, so Ronnie painted over the top of Roy Maynard's, um, Roy Maynard's artwork. He'd done two for me. That's such a nice concept. It's such a brilliant idea because it's what you do sometimes in art lessons, isn't it? You start at an easel, then you move on to the next. Exactly. Sort of go around the room. Yeah, so. well, as I say, the idea of it was one's the um, manipulator, which is how I named it because I had people manipulate me. God, how interesting, Gary. Yeah. Or I'm going to try and make it a 50 50. Um, yes, it tells you a lot about people's exactly because I would probably go very, oh, they've really, you know, done something nice there. I'd probably sort of just, as you say, maybe 50 50, very yeah. fair level playing field. And then other people will just sweep in. Go, yeah, some people just don't care. Some people just see it as a found object with no value. Yeah. Other people are scared that they're going to insult the other artist. Yeah, I'd be that person, I think. What were you? I the first one was me damaging all of the artwork. So I had 30 artworks. I had like Sarah Lucas donated like an 18 grand artwork. I was damaging that. How have I not heard about this project? I work with homeless and ex-prisoners as well. So I'll always include a homeless person so that they've got the opportunity to be next to 
Ronnie Wood or Sarah Lucas, you know, something mm. like that. So if I was to give you an artwork that was by someone unknown and emerging, you'll be fine with that. But then if, but on the flip side, if I was to give you a Maggie Hambling and say, right, you've got a paint over the top of this. Exactly. That's the look that a lot of artists give when I give them the artwork. You're going to be the manipulator, yet they're feeling vulnerable because they're, they're the attacker, but feeling vulnerable. And that's what I like to play with is people's, not so much emotions, but their their outlook and, and, yeah, and, and toy with it a little bit. My mind's buzzing. It opens up so many layers for discussion, doesn't it? As you say, it tells you so much about yourself. If in that situation, people would pass over work that they wouldn't mind. You know, that's sort of the, the bits that didn't quite work. Didn't, yeah, or just print. quite make their exhibition. Um, and I, or I figured that I know a lot of artists do limited edition prints that might be worth, I don't know, three, four, five hundred pounds. And I knew that the artist I was asking wouldn't mind donating one of them. And that's all I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But then the very first one I got was Sarah Lucas and she went, I'll make you an artwork. And it was Sarah Lucas that made me, really. That is generous, isn't it? And kind and, um, you know, just throwing herself into yeah. it. I didn't, I didn't know Maggie at the time, but, you know, she would have been... She'd have done it. She'd have done it. I was putting uh, Face Value 4 together just as lockdown hit. I've since thought about it and I'm, I'm definitely going to do the fourth one again and yeah, no, uh, funding is the hard thing to I, think put these made, I think I have to say for what it's worth I think it would make a very interesting television series really interesting you've got a story of artists of well it's like Grayson's Art Club which is yeah. all about professional artists alongside members of the public yeah you know but when I bring these like the homeless guys that I've been working with or ex ex-cons um, like I bring them to the show and I always make sure that they're either teamed up with someone of significance mm. um, or they're hung near someone of significance. You know, that's the only bit of bias I put into the show is making these people who are struggling, giving yeah. them a little bit of yeah. something in their heart, you know. Gary, that is, oh yeah, definitely that's the television series. That's a really interesting documentary. Yeah, when I do the fourth one, I'll uh, I'll put you and Maggie on the list. So you might even, if she donates, you might even end up with one of hers. <laughs> or vice versa. Maggie hates uh, paintings of the sea with boats and children. <laughs> <laughs> loads and loads of children splashing around, little sailing boat bobbing along on one of her fucking enormous <laughs> sea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little kids playing tennis on the beach. That'd go down well, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry to be talking about me and, and what no, I'm doing. Interesting. Um, interesting. And have you got anything coming up, Annika? Um, loads of stuff actually in the pipeline, which is quite exciting, but not at a stage where I can talk about it. The next um, thing is um, Bake Off. <laughs> oh, are you on that? Yeah, Bake Off Stand Up to Cancer, which is fun because, again, uh, I, I, and I can bring art into that a bit. So Excellent. That. Do you know when it's on TV? I think, yeah, I think my one's sometime over Easter. Sometime. Excellent. Well, this should come out in probably about four, five, six weeks' time. And yeah, if you when when your one comes out, I'll put it up round about then. You know, yeah, I think they they never say, but I think it's going to be something like around you know Good Friday. Excellent. 
good time. Was it fun? Yeah, it was fun, actually. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. All right, well, I'll let you get back on with your day, Annika. Thanks. Thank you so much for your time. Gary. And Take you. care. And please, please say hello to Maggie for me. She's got one of my works as well. When uh, we'll all meet again, you know, it's really sad. Annika, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. Speak Bye. soon. See you later. Bye-bye. There you go, Annika Rice. That was pretty bloody cool, wasn't it? And once you've finished here, go over to her Instagram page, which is Annika Rice Art, and go and have a little butchers to see what she's been up to. Annika and I were speaking about the face value exhibitions that um, Lee Ainsworth and I were putting on every year until COVID hit. And we come to the decision, it's pretty much about time face value 4 was created. So, watch this space. For next week's episode, I'll be speaking to someone who has just created their own museum with the help of a very prominent artist and activist. Hmm, intriguing, right? But that's all for this week. Like I say every week, on whichever platform you listen to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. If you've got any queries, drop us a line on social media at Ministry of Arts Org. If you're enjoying these episodes, spread the word of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're not, well, fuck you. You won't be listening to this bit anyway. And those of you that are, thanks for listening. And until next week, ta-da. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.